Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people leading creative, outside the box, I mean outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. Our third season, recorded during Lent 2021, connects our desire to follow Jesus outside the church building and the recognition that Lent is an invitation to quiet our minds and hearts. Our guests share how they find nourishment as they build God's kingdom. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Today's guest is Father Terry Haroon. Her pronouns are she, her, hers, and she is a gluten-free, gummy bear-loving poet, parent, and priest. She serves as pastor at Light of Christ in Longmont, Colorado, and enjoys reading, crocheting, walking, and mooseology, all the things you learn about God when you get yourself caught between a mama moose and her babies. Terry is also in Marta's Doctor of Ministry cohort at Iliff School of Theology in Denver, Colorado. Today we talk about the joy of choosing your own name, about sacramental justice, and about how the pandemic has helped us to focus into our callings. In the spirit of prophet and mystic or spirituality and social action, the inward journey and the outward reach, teachers and conversation partners, we asked you here today, Terry, because we know that the work of Jesus, both in action and in rest, are important. Sometimes Jesus needs to leave the building to go to the other side of the lake by himself, up the mountain or to the hillside. He dismisses the crowds and sends the multitude away. Often he was alone and simply prayed by himself. In some ways, we must begin within ourselves before we birth something new outside of ourselves. Lent is a time of planting seeds. So we want to hear about your seeds of devotion. A little more than a year ago, um, I met Terry pre pandemic and before everything was turned upside down together um, and separately, we joined a doctor of ministry program cohort at Iliff School of Theology and Prophetic Leadership. This was in early 2020. We had no idea that we would be working our tails off in an academic program while also holding our congregations together. Mm-hmm. Terry is brilliant and committed to a faith life in a way that is inspiring and has inspired me over the last year. She is strong and admirable as well as relational, creative, and poetic. It has been a privilege of mine to get to know her. Terry's Demon Project will be studying the sacrament of the Eucharist, specifically through the virtual world, and she's going to talk a little bit about that more later. And so I don't want to say too much because she knows more about that. And um, also just aware that we are in the infancy stages of forming our doctoral program projects. Um, And so, you know, we have, we still have some time to work on that, but I'm curious about this work that she is doing because Uh, In our contemporary society, these ancient traditions and rituals, particularly for Protestants, often fall short. So at this time, sharing the story and elements of this ritual is a form of sharing good news. It is 
practice in some ways for all the ways that we gather and nourish each other with food and drink and simply the way we are in relationship with each other. Eucharist or communion in which we often call it is literally a way to taste and see God. More than anything, it is an ordinary practice of sharing meals. Recent decolonial scholar Kim Craig said, breaking bread is an expression for Christians of God's desire for the entire creation of a community where life is shared. We look forward to hearing from you, Terry, today about your work, your ministry, your studies. So welcome, welcome to the space. Wow, thank you. It's so great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. So um, Terry, first, I think most of us are not super familiar with your tradition, the ecumenical Catholic tradition, and your work at Light of Christ, the congregation you serve. So can you tell us about how you landed there? Um, tell us a little bit about your title that you have chosen, Father Terry. Um, most of us don't get to choose our titles in that way in the church. So we're excited to hear um, that good story. Awesome. Well, I think infancy is the theme then for today. So because I think the ecumenical Catholic communion, which I also call the ECC, we are in our infancy. Um, There's actually a robust independent Catholic movement in the United States. And in 2003, 11 of those communities came together and initially formed the communion that we call the ECC. So the polity is uh, very different from the Roman Catholic Church. It is not top down. It's a very flattened structure. We call it a three-legged stool. So one leg is the laity, one leg is the clergy, and one leg is the bishops. And so um, our bishops are elected. Our clergy are called and affirmed by their communities. Our pastors are called um, by their communities. They're not assigned. So it's a very different structure that's very lay driven. And that was really intentional. Um, The other piece that is is super potent for us is what I think of as our primary charism and that's sacramental justice. And sacramental justice for us is this idea that we are breaking open sacrament with God so that it is available and accessible to anyone who who wants and desires and yearns for that kind of experience of God. So most people's first point of contact is in mass at communion. We're at the communion table every single time we gather, we say all are welcome here. The fact that you are are here on your journey means that you have been invited to this meal. This is God's table and we are delighted to share the invitation with you to participate in this meal with us. So that's that's sacramental justice sort of in a nutshell. I think most people would say it's this idea that all are welcome, but not just welcome, all are welcome and wanted and cherished and valued. and, And we are delighted that you are here. And so when that's your primary charism, um, that all are welcome, hand in hand with that goes the idea though that not all behaviors are welcome. So behaviors or thoughts or patterns that limit people, 
that dehumanize people in some way, shape or form are not welcome here. So we're consistently doing that justice work within ourselves and within our community to make sure that we're lifting up everybody in their full humanity. So our sacramental justice really leads to our justice work. So that's sort of the ECC in a big nutshell. Um, Light of Christ is my community here in Longmont, Colorado. I was a lay member in 2005 when we were getting started. Um, quickly, my community called and affirmed me to seek ordination. So I went off to Isla for the first time and I got my Master's of Divinity there and graduated in 2009. Um, and so Light of Christ is this community that the first uh, folks who started the community were part of a Roman Catholic church together that came from a different model of Roman Catholic church within this archdiocese in that we were nested within a Presbyterian church. Our model was such that if, if we had that relationship with another faith community and we didn't own the bricks and mortar, then we could dedicate more of our personal resources to justice work and activity within our own community. But um, in the early 2000s, the local Roman Catholic Archbishop was no longer affirming of that model for us and asked us to raise $4 million and build our own bricks and mortar church here in Longmont. And so there was a group of us that um, could no longer go back to that model. And so um, I make it sound so seamless. It, it, it was a very, very stressful time, I will say that. But there was a group of us that, that decided at that time to leave together. I'd say there were probably about 50 or 60 of us all together. Um, we did a lot of research. We found the ECC. There was a great community in Aurora called Church of the Holy Family. Um, so we got to know them. They shared their priest and pastor with us so we could get started. Uh, we called our first priest and pastor, and we've sort of been um, hitting the road ever since then, you know. Um, we got to name ourselves. I know we're going to talk a little bit about naming, but we got to name ourselves. Um, I don't think any of us had ever been involved in naming our faith community before. Um, and uh, really being church together. Very quickly, it was clear that we needed everybody's gifts and talents and discernment and prayer. And so it was about being this faith community together. And I think Light of Christ is such a great name for us to try to be that light um, in the world together. And, and I think um, we're more vibrant when we do it together. So honestly, the question that I most often get asked is why father? I do go by Father Terry. I am the only female priest in the ACC that goes by that titling. Um, so if you meet another female uh, ECC priest, you probably should ask her what she prefers to be called. Um, and I wish, I wish I could tell you that I did this great critical thinking and that's where I came up with my name and that is not my story. Uh, I have three children. They're all in their 20s now. But when I was ordained to the priesthood in 2009, they, they were nine years old, 12 years old, and 15. And they came to me about a month before my ordination. And they said, you know, mom, it's clear to us your call to the priesthood. It's clear to us you're supposed to do this. And we super support you. But we want to be the only ones who call you mother. 
And the only other female priest that we knew was called Mother. Her, her name is Kay Madden. She's at a Church of the Beloved in uh, North Glen. And so when your three kids come to you united, as a mom, you pay attention. And um, I was ready to say yes, but I also was ready to give them the question back. Well, then what will people call me? And so their experience was when I was a student pastor, and that was at Rin United Methodist Church before I was ordained at all, people called me reverend. I had been a deacon for a year, and people called me deacon or reverend. And my kids came back and said, you know, the only way people are going to know that you are a Catholic priest is if you take the only name that people know of for Catholic priests. So tell them to call you Father Terry. And so that's how it started. No critical thinking on my part, but really, really great mothering. So, so um, and I love that story. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. The community was super supportive with that. So over time, um, it's really come to evolve for me. I use it as a conversation starter. Um, first of all, uh, the different genders in the ECC, we tend to have different paths to ordination. The women have gone outside to places like ILIF to get our degrees and to become ordained. Most of the men, not all of them, but most of them were Roman Catholic priests. In general, they fell in love with somebody. And so they left that um, ministry in order to be with the person that they loved. And so their ordination process is very different than ours um, when we do it outside of that structure. Um, and so one of the things in the ECC, when people ask me, well, why did you choose the name Father? I usually ask them, well, did you ask Father Michael or Father Stan that mm -hmm. question? Why is it that only the women get asked why we chose our name, but the men it's sort of assumed. And that's partly because this ministry for 2000 years was steeped in male language. And so it makes sense to us. So I do use it as a conversation starter for how uh, that process looks different for the different genders in our denomination. I also use it to connect to folks. Uh, we also have taken the name Catholic and people tell us often that we're, we're not Catholic. We can't say that we're Catholic. Um, and that's what people say about my role. You, you can't be a Catholic priest, that's, that it's not okay. But we can, and it is okay. So the power of being able to claim that naming is really, really important. Um, and I don't think all the female priests should use this title. It works for me. Um, it works for my family. It works for now. Maybe someday it won't. And, and then um, um, I will rechange that name and, and we'll live into something different. Um, I often wonder about like Mary of Magdala, the names she's been given. I wonder what name she would like us to know her by instead. I bet it's a name that we don't know of yet. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. There's, there's a name that we, we know in our soul that the world doesn't necessarily know. And we haven't been given the opportunity to live into our own naming or names. So I also know that, you know, we're all baptized in Christ as priest, prophet, and king, if that's part of our religious tradition. Um, and so we're all called to live into that kind of image. And in my tradition, when you're confirmed, you get to choose a name for yourself. 
Um, and I'm not sure why we limit that ritual to one time within our tradition. Mm. I think it's something we should revisit through our, throughout our spiritual growth um, and continually be listening with God to what our new name is as we grow into um, new chapters in our lives. So that would be my answer for that. That is such a beautiful story. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just like, I can't actually get it. It's like still dripping off of me all over the place that you chose it because your kids wanted you to be the only mother that they, that they called you. And, um, and so, you know, there was a whole bunch of things I was sort of thinking about as you were, as you were talking, um, probably what I'm picking up with you and sort of the infinity I have with you in this work, um, that there's some of that um, very congregational um, sort of flat system a little bit happening yep. in your midst. And then I was thinking how um, sort of the pieces of liturgy though, that you've pulled from the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And um, part of what you're even thinking about now and sort of um, recrafting some of that mm -hmm. to meet your theological um, needs um, more specifically. And I think is probably somewhat where um, your sacramental justice and the Eucharist is coming in a little bit. Um, but one of the things you said around the table, um, about the table and about Eucharist and about sacramental justice, which I've never actually named in this way. That was super, um, we've got to use it, Mandy, is that mm -hmm. all are welcome, but not all behaviors are welcome. And I just really, really loved that. And so I wanted to um, point that out a little bit. Um, and then lastly, because what you, your whole story you told right now is just so rich. Um, and sort of the last piece of that was sort of the fluidity in your ministry and your openness to, to the journey and that you might have a different title or name at some point. And, um, and then also recognizing that um, you're right. Like we don't go around asking most um, clergy men about their titles, right? right. Um, so that was, that was really, um, really wonderful to hear sort of all of those pieces coming together. Um, so all of the sudden, and this is partly why we have this, Jesus has left the building podcast, mm -hmm. um, our, our parish life and our and our ministry for all of us, whether we like it or not, has become super public. Yep. Um, and so I know that you have felt that too, um, being on Facebook and just being available to people in a different way from their homes. Um, and then, you know, doing your doctoral work around the public virtual space, particularly in response to communion. Mm -hmm. Where has this shift to a public presence and your work of ILIF intersected? And can you um, tell us about, um, give us some thoughts about, about that virtual ministry and maybe a bit about why you've decided to do this project? Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, who knew that it was gonna intersect so much? Like you said, when, when you introduced, we had no idea when we started the doctor of ministry program that we were going to do this during a pandemic. And one of the key parts of being in the doctor of ministry program at ILIC was that we were active in ministry. We had to show that we were active and present in ministry. And then the whole ministry was going to change while we were in the program. So who knew? Um, when I applied, I knew that I wanted to do something related to liturgy in the ECC. Um, but I didn't really know what, I didn't know what the hook was. I didn't know what in that first quarter last year, when we started Marta, I was floundering and I knew it like, and I knew like, if I was preaching this way, I would like go back to something canned because I had no hook. I couldn't figure out where, where I was supposed to be landing. And that quarter ended on March 13th, which happens to be the day that I had to close the church and we celebrate mass on Saturday nights at five o'clock. Um, and so Friday, the 13th, we closed the church, the quarter ended. Um, I actually called every single person in our directory. It took me about five hours to make sure that they heard directly from me that um, we were not doing mass in the sanctuary tomorrow, but I knew how to use Facebook Live. So I would do something on Facebook Live on Saturday at five o'clock. Of course, when we were doing that, we thought this was two, maybe three weeks. And then we were gonna have the best like Holy Week Easter ever. It was gonna feel like a family reunion and we were gonna be crying all over each other and hugging each other. Oh, I missed you, right? That's what I imagined that day. Um, but we know so much more now, don't we? So that Saturday night, I, uh, with our parish secretary, Annie, we sat at my desk using Facebook Live and we had mass. And when it came time to communion, what I had told people is go get what's in your cupboard. Whatever you have in your cupboard, that's what, what, what God has made sure is available to you. Go get that and let's break that and let's eat that. Um, I leaned into the theology of Ronald Rollheiser, who's a Catholic theologian. And when he talks about the incarnation, he talks about the incarnation shows us that all food and all drink is sacrament. And I'd been preaching for about two years here at Light of Christ that all tables are God's table, that that that, that diversity and unity that we practice at the altar, we're supposed to take that to all tables. And so that day I just presented it as Listen, God led us to this moment. We already have the tools we need. We, we have food, we have theology, we have God, we have each other, we have prayer, receive the body of Christ. And that's how we celebrated that first week. And um, by the time I got home, um, because not a lot of ECC communities were ready to go live that weekend. Um, I was one of the few. So we had a lot more people watching than would be our normal, normal community. And by the time I got home, I had priests questioning, what did you just do? Hmm. Um, and for me, when I had prayed uh, the day before, what I heard God say is, you know, Terry, feed my people. And that was my answer. I was called to feed and I fed people. 
and I'm going to keep feeding people and, and I will always err on the side of feeding people and, and breaking open sacrament even more once again. Um, and so that night I also wrote to our advisor, Dr. Smith, and I said, I know what my hook is. It's going to be, what does communion look like in this virtual space when you can't gather together? Um, in, in a sanctuary together. And, and so, so that, that day was the intersection and the, I, we've walked hand in hand since then. So um, pretty profound as we found out we were gonna do this for more than a year. Um, some of those choices you make in the very beginning turn out to be choices that you're gonna live with for a long time. Uh, we do have a Wednesday morning Zoom gathering. So we do have other opportunities, but we are still pretty wedded to Facebook Live. Um, we've bought a radio transmitter so we can do, uh, we call it drive-in church in the back parking lot and it's church BYOB, bring your own bread. Uh, we still, even though we're all sort of in a space together, um, just to make sure that we are uh, safe together, uh, people bring their own bread and stay in their cars. And so the, the two projects have really evolved together and I don't know if I'll ever be able to untangle them. This doctor of ministry program will always be in the pandemic. They just, they just won't ever be separated for me. So, um, and I've, I've, I've been grateful to learn so much through the project at ILIF that has influenced what we do here at Light of Christ and what we do here at Light of Christ influences what I'm doing at ILIF as well, so. Yeah, it, um, as I listen to you, because, you know, I know that throughout our class, I, I always ask Terry all kinds of questions about, about this, about doing communion virtually and, and how to really, um, make it meaningful and deep. And, um, and so it's curious for me because I know that even in our tradition, Mandy, that when we come to the table, um, in person, in a sanctuary um, that people sometimes don't even think about what it means, right? Mm -hmm. And um, they just come, they do this thing that they've done um, week after week, month after month, and it's just what you do, you do communion. You don't really think much more about what that means. And I don't know if that's the case for your tradition, but I certainly know it is, um, in our tradition. And so I'm curious about this new liturgy, this fresh liturgy that can make yeah. it um, more meaningful and intentional and thoughtful. And at the same time, balancing sort of um, that ordinary meal um, mm -hmm. and sharing that with people. Um, and so, uh, and I wonder, even as you speak about this and I listen to you, um, if even doing it virtually um, makes people think more about it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wait, the fact that I actually have to go and get the bread and the cup and like, what am I doing with this sitting in front of me? Or, um, you know, tonight we're going to do community and at our dinner table. Oh, wait, as, as the person serving that meal, if I want this to be intentionally communion, a practice of the good news, then I have to like be more in, 
intentional. There isn't Father Terry who's doing that for me. Like I actually have to uh, make this um, meaningful and religious and faith-filled and all of that. And so um, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, I think that's a por- an important part of sacramental theology is our active participation. We are not um, passive. Even when I go to the hospital and anoint someone, um, I tell them, you are an active participant in your healing. The oil represents God's grace entering every cell of your body and you get to intentionally join with God's intention for your healing. If you think about when we're in the sanctuary and we receive communion, um, the way we do it, everybody processes forward. You're an active participant moving, moving toward communion in order to receive. And then of course you're chewing and swallowing and, and tasting and all of that. So for, for us, sacrament is participatory. And so this now is a different way to participate. Yeah, you get to go in your own cupboard. And now that we've done this for a year, People, when they're grocery shopping, are thinking about what am I going to buy that I will have on my table when we celebrate Mass this Saturday. So now that experience of participating in sacrament has has sort of expanded into other parts of people's lives. And you're thinking about it in times that you wouldn't have thought about it before. And isn't that what grace is about expanding in our lives? I I often say grace begets grace, you know, and I think that's part of what's what's happening here. Um, We are a tradition that believes in in real presence at that meal. Um, We have a tabernacle, so we reserve what's left over of the bread. Um, The the wine gets gets drunk right away after mass, but the bread gets reserved in the tabernacle. Um, So one of the things we did here at the church is we took this tabernacle out of the sanctuary because we're hardly ever there. We're in the office and we brought that over here to the office. So it's with us here in the office where we are in our ordinary time, in our ordinary space, but isn't that part of the sacramental theology is to now experience God in those ordinary times and spaces as well. So it's, um, it's, it's changed all of us. I keep talking about how did we adapt during the pandemic and as we move forward, what will we adopt? And, and that's what I think we're all um, discerning. I think we started in a very reactive mode, but we're not reactive anymore. We're very proactive in what we're doing. We're very intentional. We know what we're doing, why we're doing, why it feeds us, why it feeds our soul, why it draws us in to that unity with the body of Christ being visible in the world today. And, and that's what communion's all about for us. Yeah, you know, as you were talking and telling that story, I was um, thinking about, you know, my formative weeks and months in the, in the, in the prophetic leadership program as well. And, yeah. um, you know, not overly feeling prophetic um, right. <laughs> in that moment. And so it is true that like, this program has forced us to create a new story and speak it out into the world in mm-hmm. a different way. And I think that is, um, that is what the 
pandemic in some ways has forced some of us to do. Um, you know, like I was like, well, I'm going to do something on, you know, women pastoral leaders. Like I have a whole brand new blank canvas now, like, boom, I'm going to like, just throw this out into the world in a different way. Like, you know, whereas in January and February, I was like, I don't know. I just want to do something cool. Like I have no idea what I want to do, but um, it's sort of the pandemic. It was like kind of permission giving to actually ask those critical questions and yeah. to be intentional in a way where we didn't have quite that, that permission in the same way prior to it happening. And so, and that is where, where I think we're like, Jesus has left the building. That story is different. It looks different. It feels different. And so um, that's what, you know, and I love the story that you're telling about communion in this time. Um, so Jesus has left, left the building. Uh -huh. And um, how does that land for you during this, you know, Lenten season where we're coming up on, you know, Lenten season take two in the global pandemic. Um, and so where are you seeing um, hope and seeds being planted um, that are sustaining you and grounding you? Um, what do you have to share with our listeners out there? Awesome. Well, it's, it's um, Jesus has left the building is your theme. Our theme is light of Christ in the streets. And I think they're both trying to um, name this new place that we've landed unexpectedly, but do it in a way that it encourages us to not just mourn what we've lost, but to look for what is the grace that is, is emerging here. Um, so, so Light of Christ in the Streets for us, first of all, is about having a really strong home base, knowing what your home base is, who your, who your peeps are, where you go, to get um, cared for so that you can be active in the streets. It's about not only being Christ in the streets, but more importantly, encountering Christ, all the ways that we encounter Christ when we're not in what we thought was our sa sacred space. I mean, it is our sacred space, but we're not here anymore, you know? Um, it's about charity work, um, or what I would say with the kids, how can we be helpers? And it's about justice work, how are we, not only walking in solidarity, but really taking a stand um, and trying to make a difference in changing those behaviors that would not be acceptable here. Um, it's about pilgrimage as well. You know, you talked about Jesus going off to the other side of the lake, and perhaps that's more of the Lenten piece of this is um, that pausing and recentering and and reclaiming what our relationship with the divine is and how the divine is breathing new life into us and how we take that breath then into the world and what we do with it. Um, we've looked at things, this, especially this Lenten season, um, we start with the story of the temptation of Jesus in the desert or the temptation in the desert. And we talked about how in the desert, when it's really the heat of that season, you, you thrive better if you move at night. And so that was one of the things we looked at in Lent is if we're going to be light of Christ in the streets, and, and our whole point is to be light, right? Don't we need to go 
into the night. Um, and, and so, so, so going into those streets in times that are different from the norm. Um, and then it's also about like going out into your own street. Do you know your neighbors? Like how often do we talk about, you know, we have to love our neighbors as ourselves, and, and yet we don't know our actual neighbors, much less our metaphorical neighbors. So all of that for us is, is this whole Jesus has left the building, but Jesus has not left. Jesus is just calling us to new ministry, new, new relationship with God to newness in this new world. Um, and yes, we're going to mourn things, but we are moving toward something phenomenal and, and, and Jesus and God are leading us into that. So, so you asked about seeds and seeds of devotion for me. Um, it's all things creative, whether it's playing with yarn or I, I write a lot of poetry, um, but it can just be breaking out a coloring book or playing with sidewalk chalk on the actual sidewalk. You know, um, I think anything that we can do that, um, that wakens those creative juices with us, within us also helps us in, in these new environments where our creativity is called forth as well. So to me, those are the seeds. That's the hope. Um, we've had gatherings here at Light of Christ, intergenerational gatherings, where we had somebody teach us just how to do the Zen tangle doodling drawings. Um, and what a great way. And we had people of all different ages who for like half an hour were just making doodles. It was quiet, but it was sacred and holy. And um, those creative, all those creative things are, are the things that um, sustain me right now and give me hope. I know we forget that adults need that kind of um, kinesthetic yeah. um, development and learning in some ways. We forget that um, kids are not the only, only people who need that, right. um, that, that art and that creativity. You know, I, I just want to just say again, because I love it so much, just that when Jesus was in the desert, um, it was easier to move around in the dark and do things and, and to just to make that connection to what it means to walk in the dark um, during this season. But, um, and just to make it super duper concrete, like I, I go walking after the sun goes down so much of the time because I'm so overstimulated by all the computer stuff and the talking and my kids and the dog and, and, and every, and, and work and this and that. And so when I go outside, it is, it is almost like it is this, um, it is this blanket pouring over me and protecting me sort of from all of that. And it helps me just come all of my bodily senses a little bit better. So I yeah. loved how you made that connection to Jesus in the desert this I, Lent. I don't know who taught us to be afraid of the dark. Like, but we were, we were, it's like, we're all taught to be afraid of the dark. And yet um, we had one year where we just followed the incarnation and, and what, what does that actual physical experience of Jesus um, go through and he starts in holy darkness he starts in his mother's womb and he's safe and he's warm and he's getting ready and 
And so anytime we can embrace that holy darkness, I think is really empowering for all of us. We don't need to be afraid of the dark. Yes. Well, so I want, I hope it's okay. I want you to end with one of your poems. They're, they're really great. They're um, really great. And I also want you to um, send me a few of them if you don't mind. And then I can post them because we post resources on our website okay. um, from our podcast so people can make even deeper connections. So that would be awesome if you could do that. Sure. So um, this is a poem that I wrote last year in, in March and it is called Daffodil Incarnation Christ. The first daffodil is a prophet in our midst rising from dirt and hollowed darkness, having broken seed and ground, responding to light, persistent like spring, shouting yellow like a megaphone for cheerleaders and lead cheerers alike. Before butterflies and ladybugs, instead arriving with the worms and robins from her earthen womb, a birth announcement that there is more to come. More birthing, more yellowing, more lighting, more robins and butterflies too. The prophetic cantor singing polkas for one today, but tomorrow, a festival of prophets and priests and other party goers dusting off dirt in resurrection's wake. That was absolutely beautiful. Aww, thank I you. I love that. I love oh that. Thank God. you so much for being here with us today and telling your story and letting us pick your brain. And um, you are a gift to the world. And so I am. I'm so thankful. Oh my gosh, Marta! Thank you. This is really fun, and you are quite the blessing, my friend. Next week, we will hear from Kai Brown, a.k.a. Kylie Michaels, the good Christian woman, who will share their work and seeds of devotion with us. We hope you join us. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at Black Forest Community Church, United Church of Christ, and message us to learn how you can be a part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation, or become a patron on our Patreon account at P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash J-H-L-T-B to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. Thank you to all those who support and listen. We could not do this without you.